What's up, guys? How are we doing tonight? If we haven't met, my name's Anna Wills. I'm the high school girls coordinator here at Mount Horeb. And I'm so excited to be with you guys tonight as we wrap up our series called... Okay, y'all, I'm going to tell you real quick. Middle school gave me great response Wednesday, so I expect even better from my high school people, okay? So our series called... Thank you. Thank you in the back there. Awesome. So before we dive into this, let's just all bow our heads and center our hearts. I know James prayed, but we're going to pray again because you can never have too much of that. God, I just um, I just ask you here, pour your spirit out over this place, Lord. Calm um, any nerves in my body, um, any excitement in my body, Lord. I just ask that it would not be my words that I have typed out here on this paper, but that it would be your message that is translated to these students tonight, God. Lord, I pray that we would all open our hearts and our ears and our minds to hear what you have to say, Lord. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this last, these last few weeks, we've been talking about some of the greats, like Moses and Esther and David. And tonight, we're going to talk about the single most greatest of all time. And you probably have an idea of who that is, but we're going to get to that later. But I wanted to recap with you guys these past three weeks. And I think I need a little help from some of my friends backstage, if y'all are cool with that. Guys, if you want to come out here. They might look a little familiar to you. But this is Moses, Esther, and David. So they're just going to give you a quick recap of our series so far. My name is Moses. I delivered the Israelites from Egypt. The main message of my story is God is with you. My name is Esther. I preserved the Jewish lineage. And the main message of my story is to step out in bold faith. My name is David. I defeated Goliath. And the main message of my story is be faithful in the little things. Can we get a hand for Moses, Esther, and David? Thank you guys so much. Y'all can head back out, Sage. But I think sometimes we think of the Bible as a a bunch of random stories just kind of lumped together and thrown together. But one of the things that I've loved so much about this series, The Greatest of All Time, is we've been able to dive back into some Old Testament scripture and really see how it points forward to the New Testament and towards this one central theme that's woven all throughout scripture. Because that's what the Bible is, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. It's one long story. And in Genesis, we're introduced to this couple. You may have heard of them. Adam and Eve, thank you. So they're created in this perfect relationship with each other and with God. And then what happens? They sin. Thank you. They sin. Sin enters the world. And so in our very first book of the Bible in Genesis, we're introduced to this perfection And then sin enters the world. So we have this problem. And this problem becomes introduced, this problem that cannot be fixed by anyone. Right? But then, also in Genesis, we have this promise from God to one day send a savior, a deliverer, someone who's going to conquer and defeat this problem called sin once and for all. Right? So throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we are looking forward to this Savior, this Deliverer, someone who's going to deliver us from sin the same way Moses delivered the Israelites from Egypt, someone who's going to come from the same Jewish lineage that was preserved by Esther, someone who's going to defeat sin just as David defeated Goliath. And as I said before, you probably already know who this person is, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I want to back up to Moses, David, and Esther, and you see these three were some of the greats. And we've talked about that the past three weeks. And we all have greats in our lives. We might have great families, great friends. You might have a great boyfriend or girlfriend that you're sitting beside right now. You might have a great student ministry staff. 
I might be a little biased on that. But tonight, we're going to talk about the single most greatest of all time. And so as I said before, the point of this whole series was to go back and look at some Old Testament scripture. And so tonight, we're going to be in a book called Leviticus. So if you have your Bibles, whether that be an actual Bible or on your phone, however you want to look at your scripture tonight, go ahead and turn to the book of Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible. And this book is probably, if you've ever done a Bible reading plan all the way through, it's probably the one that you get stuck on and you decide to give up. Because not that it's not important, but Leviticus is not the most exciting or the most interesting book of the Bible. Um, it was written by Moses, and essentially it's a law book. So I actually brought, my mom works in law, and I brought this law book that's like 100 years old. So Leviticus, obviously, if you're looking at your Bible, it's not this big. But essentially, this is what we're looking at. And this is only a small, small part of the law. But so just imagine, like, reading through this, and you're probably not going to want to get through that. But one interesting thing about Leviticus is that it has 613 laws. So if you have your actual Bible there, look at Leviticus, and they fit 613 laws in that one book. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I could memorize, let alone follow, every single one of those 613 laws without the help of someone, right? Do you think you guys could? My middle schoolers thought they could. Um, but these Israelites, they couldn't do that either. They couldn't memorize these things. They couldn't follow them all at the same time. And so that's what the whole point of this book of Leviticus is about, is to show us that we cannot follow every single one of these 613 laws without the help of this great promised deliverer, this king, this savior. And so we're going to be in Leviticus 16. So I know you've turned to Leviticus. Go ahead and turn to Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16 is talking about the day of atonement. So this was the holiest day of the year in Jewish tradition. And I'm about to say a lot of big words and a lot of information. So if you're not already, go ahead and lock in with me and just stay tuned and wrap, try to wrap your brains around this. But it's the holiest day of the year in the Jewish tradition. And it revolves around two words, atonement and repentance. So this whole idea of atonement, the word atonement means to right a wrong or repay for a sin that you've done. So this act reconciles man with God. It repairs that broken relationship that we talked about at the beginning. And this act also requires blood to be shed. But God, out of his good grace, allowed animals to be sacrificed in the place of man. So this is why in the Old Testament we see a lot of animal sacrifices. And just to kind of explain this word more, maybe in like a real-time um, sort of story. So I have this dog at home. She's almost two. Her name's Sophie. And the other day I got home and Sophie brought me a little piece of cloth and it had a button on it. So I knew it was from some sort of clothing. And then I went to my room and I found my brother's really nice Patagonia hat. And it had a very big hole on the top of it. And I was like, oh, no, that's his favorite hat. And I have to tell him that the dog ate it. So I called him up and I was like, hey, Josh, um, Sophie ate your hat today. And he was not mad at all. I was expecting him to be very, very angry. But he was not mad at all. But what I did to repay that wrong, because it was my fault, um, to repay that wrong, I bought him a new hat. So that's kind of the whole idea of atonement is repaying that wrong, repayment for sin. And then that second word, repentance, is to turn from sin and towards God. And I think we've all heard that word before, repentance. So you have atonement and you have repentance, and that's what this whole day is centered around. 
So on this day, the high priest made sacrifices for three specific things. First, he made sacrifices for himself and his household. Then sacrifices for the tabernacle, which was the most holy place in the community. And then he made sacrifices for the whole Israelite community. So that would be like me making sacrifices for myself and my family, for the church, and then for all of you right here. And this only happened one day a year. And so this passage is God giving Moses rules for this particular day. And Moses is to give these rules to the high priest, who's actually his brother Aaron. And so starting in Leviticus 16, verses 5 through 10, it says, From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Is anyone else confused right now? Yes, thank you. So now you might be able to see, if you didn't already, why Leviticus is such a difficult book to get through because it's filled with a lot of confusing ideas and things. So you might have some questions like, how many animals is this guy supposed to sacrifice? Because there were like five mentioned. What in the world does it mean to cast lots? And what in the world is a scapegoat, right? So there were a few different animals mentioned throughout that passage, but we're going to focus on two tonight for the sake of time and for the sake of the message. So we're going to focus on the two goats. So Aaron collects two goats. Aaron's the high priest. He gets two goats. One is to be sacrificed. One is called the scapegoat. And it says he's going to cast lots to decide which one is which. So casting lots is essentially like throwing dice to kind of leave it up to chance. Except it's not up to chance. It's up to God. But so you have your, um, your goat that's going to be sacrificed and you have your scapegoat. So a scapegoat is a person. Does anyone know what a scapegoat is first? What's the scapegoat, Griff? Yeah, someone who takes the blame for something. Someone who takes on the mistakes, the faults, the wrongdoings of others. So I like to think of it as a fall guy or someone who gets thrown under the bus. And I was actually, Thursday, I was babysitting for this cute little two-year-old, and she wanted to watch The Lion King. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, that's my favorite movie from when I was a kid. Are you guys familiar with The Lion King? So... I was watching this scene, well, I'll give you a little bit of background just in case you haven't seen it. I don't know why you wouldn't have seen it. But so there's three characters I want to focus on in the story. There's Mufasa, who's the king. There's Simba, who's his son and who's in line to be the king. And there's Scar, who is Mufasa's brother, Simba's uncle. And he's very jealous because he wants to be king, right? So Scar, I said he was jealous. He wants to be king. He cooks up this plan to kill Mufasa. So he goes to Mufasa, and, or he riles, he uses his, um, like, minions, his hyenas, you know what I'm talking about? And they rile up this stampede of wildebeest to go and stampede through this gorge that Simba's hanging out in. So Scar goes to Mufasa, Simba's father, and says, Mufasa, you got to save Simba. He's in this gorge. He's about to be stamp- stampeded, if that's the word. I don't know. He's about to be run over by these wildebeest, and he's going to be killed. So Mufasa goes to this gorge to save his son. And he gets his son, and he throws him up on a rock, and then he gets swept back into the stampede. And eventually, he grabs onto the side of this 
rock, this very massive rock, and he gets to the top of the cliff. He's hanging on the edge, and he comes face to face with his brother Scar. Now, does Scar want him to live? No, Scar wants him to die. So Scar, he begs for help. He says, Scar, help me, brother. And Scar takes Mufasa's paws and just throws him back into the stampede. And so Mufasa dies. If I spoiled it for you, I apologize. Um, You should have seen it 10 years ago. But Mufasa dies, and Simba goes up after the stampede is gone, and he goes up and is looking at his dad who's laying there. And Scar comes up and convinces Simba that it was his fault, that it was his fault that his father died. And so Scar goes back to the whole community, their pride of lions, and convinces everyone that it was Simba's fault that Mufasa died. And so Simba is then excommunicated from this community. He leaves. So you see, that's the whole idea of the scapegoat. Scar did this horrible, awful thing, made this huge, not really mistake, but did this horrible, awful thing, and put the blame on someone else, right? That's the whole idea of a scapegoat. And so after that passage we just read, we have verses 11 through 19, which I'm not going to read tonight for the sake of time, but we're given rules about how Aaron, the high priest, is to cleanse himself and the tabernacle. And then we pick back up in Leviticus 16, verses 20 through 22, and it says, When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. And I really wanted to paint a really good picture of this for you guys, and I asked if we could get an actual goat so I could, like, do that, but they said no. So I want you to like to picture in your brain if think on a Sunday morning if Pastor Jeff like brought an actual live goat on stage and confessed all the sins of all of Mount Horeb United Methodist Church onto the goat. And then like Trevor came along and took it somewhere random in the woods and then let it go. That's kind of the idea, just to paint a picture of what's happening here. So this was a very symbolic act during this time for the Israelites. They actually believed that their sins were transferred from themselves to the goat. And so the goat leaving was their sins departing from them. Are you all talking with me? Yep. Okay. So there are some holes in this plan. First of all, I said this day of atonement was a holiday. And how many times a year does a holiday happen? Once. Right? So this day of atonement, this cleansing only happens once a year. And now we're lucky because we live on this side of Jesus' life. But imagine only being able to cleanse yourself of your sins one time a year. That's like only being able to shower or clean your body once a year. And some of you guys might enjoy that because that means you don't have to take a shower. But after a few days even, that's going to get really old, and it's not going to be good for you, and it's not going to be good for the people around you. But it's going to start affecting your life. It's just not good. It's going to make you feel gross and disgusting and just yucky. So that's the biggest flaw in this plan. These people, they needed someone to come in and take away their sins, not just for one day, but for all of eternity, right? They needed a more powerful scapegoat, a different, more powerful scapegoat. And what they needed was the greatest of all time. 
Now, a little bit ago, I was talking how throughout the Old Testament, we're looking forward to this great king, this great deliverer, this great savior, someone who's going to come along and save these Israelite people from their sin, right? But as we read through the Old Testament, we get to the end, the very last page, and we still haven't found this great deliverer, this great king, this great person to come that God promised us. But then we open the New Testament, and it opens with a story about this man named Jesus. And as we read throughout the New Testament, we realize that this man, Jesus, is the king, the savior, the deliverer that we've been searching for. He is the greatest of all time. And so tonight, I'm not only excited to tell you that he's the greatest of all time, but I'm excited to explain to you why he's the greatest of all time. You see, we just talked about this concept of a scapegoat, right? So a scapegoat, something that had the sins of the people laid on its head, something that carried the burden of these sins, and something that took these sins away from the community. But we also talked about some of the flaws of this plan, right? So what, were some of the, what was the big flaw that we just talked about? It only happened once a year. So it didn't officially eliminate the sins of these people. They were still in need of someone who would defeat sin once and for all, right? And so in Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying about this Messiah who's to come, who would be the ultimate atonement for the sins of the people of Israel. And in verse 6, he says, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Just as Aaron laid the sins of the community on the head of that scapegoat, so God has laid the sins of us on Jesus, the ultimate scapegoat. The only difference between the scapegoat mentioned in Leviticus and Jesus is that Jesus destroyed sin once and for all, not just for one day. With him, an annual cleansing isn't necessary because our sin is officially eliminated and we are constantly covered by Jesus. Right, So every lie you've ever told is covered by Jesus. Every time you've spoken mean to one of your friends or your family members is covered by Jesus. Every selfish act you do is covered by Jesus. Every time you open your computer and look at something you definitely shouldn't be looking at is covered by Jesus. Every conviction you feel is covered by Jesus. Jesus is the greatest of all time. He is the ultimate scapegoat. And so we know this. But why does it matter to us? Why does it matter to all of you sitting in this, these seats right now? And it matters because the act of sacrifice is so, so beautiful. It's something we absolutely cannot do for ourselves. And so I want to tell you this story. Um, two years ago, there was this girl who went on vacation with her family to Mexico. And she ended up drowning and she passed away. And her parents donated her organs to help other people who were in need of them. And so her heart went to save the life of this 20-year-old man who lived in Florida. And last year on Father's Day, this girl's dad bicycled, not like motorcycled, but like pedaled his bike 2,000 miles from Wisconsin all the way to Florida to go meet this man who received his daughter's heart. And it was on Father's Day. And when he got there, the man who received his daughter's heart handed him a Father's Day present. And inside was a, was a stethoscope. So the man could listen to his daughter's heart one last time. And that's a touching story. But it also paints such a beautiful picture that this girl's death was used to give so many people life. 
Her sacrifice was made to give life to others. And guys, this is why the cross is so, so significant. In order for Jesus to become the scapegoat for all of us, blood had to be spilled, like we said in the beginning. And he made the ultimate sacrifice to give us life, and not just to give me life, and not just to give Griff life, and not just to give Madeline life, but to give every single person in this room life, every single person on this earth life, every single part of creation life again. And so a few days ago, on Ash Wednesday, it started this season of Lent, this season of leading up to Easter. And in these 40 days, we're given an opportunity not just to give up chocolate or Fortnite or whatever might make you feel better, but to remember what Jesus did for us, to remember that he spilled his blood for us. And so Pastor Nick shared this this morning in Big Church, and it really, really spoke to me. But um, he said, a lot of you are wearing crosses around your neck. And this cross used to be used as a symbol of embarrassment and death. It was the worst punishment of its time. But now it serves as a reminder of something beautiful, the beautiful sacrifice that was made to give us life. And so that's what happens when Jesus gets a hold of your heart. When he got a hold of that cross, he turned it from death to life. When he gets a hold of your heart, he turns it from death to to life. And so maybe tonight you've never trusted in this Jesus before. Maybe you've never realized that your sins are eternally covered by his blood. And maybe you're ready to enter into a relationship with him. And so if that's you, all you have to do is believe that he is the one who covers your sins eternally, not just today, not just tomorrow, but for all time, because he is the greatest of all time. And so if that's you, like I said, you have to believe and you have to repent from your sins, turning away from your sins and turning towards God. And so in a second, I'm going to pray and then we're going to enter into this last song. And during that last song, I just want you guys to really, really remember what Jesus did for you. Take these next 40 days leading up to Easter and remember what Jesus did for you, that he shed his blood. Don't just remember that he is the greatest of all time, but remember why he's the greatest of all time. Will you guys bow your heads? God, we are so, so thankful for you. Lord, we're so thankful that you sent your son, um, again, not to just be the greatest of all time, but to shed his blood so that we may have life, God. And Lord, as I said at the beginning, I pray that this doesn't just stay here in this room. I pray that we take this out, God that we share this story, Lord. God, do something in our hearts in this song, God, in this worship. Lord, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.